Well, good morning. It's probably felt like a pretty typical Sunday morning for you so far. For some of us, it's been far from typical. Maybe you read in the bulletin under the council notes today that um, we approved a couple of weeks ago uh, a new video system to come in to, to upgrade here. It's, our system has been old for a long time, and we've been saving up money to, to bring it up to speed. And somehow the system found out that we're replacing it and it revolted this morning. And this morning for the 8.30 service, we had no video for half the service. We were singing off a of song sheets that we quickly printed off in a panic this morning. Halfway through the service, it came on and then shut off. And I'm finally beginning to calm down. My blood pressure is going down a little bit. Um, but the system didn't want to leave all of you 11 o'clockers out of the chaos as well. And so it decided throughout the process to delete all of the sermon slides, all of the blanks that you fill in. And so here's your challenge for you outline followers this morning. You have the outline in the bulletin in front of you. There are going to be no answers coming up on the screen. I've been here 16 years. Your challenge is to figure out, can you think like I think? And can you fill in those blanks without me telling you what they are? Somebody came to me after the first service and he had 60% right. That's a pretty good percentage. So that's the target that you're aiming for this morning. So pull out your outlines and you'll want to you'll uh, do your best shoot for 60% or better. Also, if you remember, we're going through the Belgic Confession, hitting some highlights of the Belgic Confession. We're gonna, I was going to read a few of those for you and have them up on the screen. They obviously won't be coming up on the screen. If you wanted to follow along while I read those articles, they're in the back of the hymn book right in front of you. So if you're, you are welcome to turn to way back and find the Belgic Confession in the back, and you can follow along in the articles as we go this morning. Um, also, this, that's why you have the music stands up here, because the one part of the system that didn't come back on is the back screen. That part is shot. So singers don't have the words in the back. So thank you for being flexible as, as we go. Anyways, when I was a kid, as I've told you before, I was the youngest of five. And being the youngest of five kids is a ah, difficult place to be in. I told my parents often how unfair they treated me as the youngest child of the family. I had so many injustices that I could complain about to my parents, right? It wasn't fair that I had to go to bed earlier than my brothers and my sister. Oh, the injustice of that one, right? And it wasn't fair that I always got hand-me-down clothes from my brothers and they got the new. I never got new. I always got the hand-me-downs. And it wasn't fair that they could go out and do fun things with their high school friends and fun things with their youth group, and I was stuck at home with my parents. And it wasn't fair when they got to go to movies that I didn't get to go to. Right? Life wasn't fair. And back when I was a kid, it was all about fair, wasn't it? And I let my parents know on on no uncertain terms how unjust it was, how unfair I was being treated because I wanted what was coming to me. I wanted my fair share. I wanted what I deserved, and I made sure my parents knew about that. In fact, one time I was complaining so forcefully, I decided to really stick it to my mom, and I said, I might just run away and go someplace where it's better. She got the suitcase out for me. Not a good moment. My parents taught me in the middle of my cry for fairness. They taught me to be careful what I wished for. See, they let me know 
in some of these conversations with them. That they were more than willing to be fair with me if I really wanted fair. They were more than willing to let me get what I deserved and just what I deserved, if that's what I wanted. If I wanted fair, they said, we could evenly divvy up the housework so everybody does equal. Because up to this point, my mom was doing more than her fair share, right? I'm welcome to do more work around the house, sure, if you want to be fair. They let me know that, that if I wanted everything to be fair, that they'd be happy to divvy up all the bills at the end of the month and divide it by seven, and each of us pay our own, including the mortgage. My little allowance wasn't going to go very far. If I, if I wanted it to be truly fair, they were willing to charge me for breakfast and charge me for lunch and charge me for dinner instead of giving me free food. And suddenly, suddenly I realized maybe I don't really want my parents to be all that fair with me. You know, in life, on the one hand, we scream for fairness and justice, don't we? It's a value that our country was, was founded on. On the other hand, we, we don't always want it to be fair, and we're okay when things aren't truly, completely fair. As kids, we shouldn't want fair because we've really got it pretty good, and fair would make life a lot more difficult. Same thing in our lives, right? As adults, we don't always want fair. If we wanted fair in our society, if we wanted fair in our lives, then those of us of this favored social class and many of us of the favored, the favored race in our nation, right, we'd have to give up a lot of economic opportunities that we've got at someone else's expense. If we truly wanted fair, right, then, then we go to court. We don't, we don't want fair when we go to court, do we? We don't tell our lawyers, hey, just, just be completely fair here and figure out what's fair. No, we say, get me the best I can get. Get me the best settlement possible. We aren't asking for fair. We're asking for benefit for us. We like to play both sides of this game, don't we? When it serves us well, we'll call out, I want justice. I want everything fair. When it doesn't serve us so well, let's ignore that equality thing. Let's ignore that fair thing. And let me have the extra. We kind of want that with our relationship with God, too, don't we? We want it both ways when it comes to our relationship with our God. When it serves us well, we want a God of justice. God is not fair. I want you to make things fair. I want you to be just. But on the other hand, there's a whole lot of times when it comes to our own life, we say, okay, God, how about some mercy? How about you forget justice for a while and you just be, be all grace right now? Our God is a God of both justice and of grace. He brings together these seemingly opposing characteristics and, and, and how he brings them together into one is kind of a mystery to us. But when we do our best to understand it, as we're going to do this morning, we discover it to be a wonderful and beautiful and life-giving mystery. Right? We're working our way through the Belgic Confession. Just hitting the highlights as we go. Remembering the foundations of our faith that we don't often think about. And in Article 16 of the Belgic Confession, part of this mystery, this mystery of grace and justice, of mercy and justice, we wrestle through that together. Listen to what Article 16 says about God's mercy 
and his justice. It says, we believe that all of Adam's descendants having fallen into perdition and ruin by the sin of the first man, we believe that God showed himself to be as he is, merciful and just. God is merciful in withdrawing and saving from this perdition those whom he in his eternal and unchangeable counsel has elected and chosen in Jesus Christ our Lord by his pure goodness without any consideration of their works. There's his mercy. He is just in leaving others to their ruin and fall into which they have plunged themselves. All right. On the one hand, we have a God who demands justice. And that should scare us. That's blank number one, by the way. We have a God who demands justice. And that should scare us. You and I are like children who in their ignorance demand justice and demand fairness from their parents, right? We do that because we don't realize how good we've got it. I think you and I often forget how good we've got it when it comes to our relationship with God. Right? There's a passage that reminds us of that. Ephesians 2. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Page 947 in the Bibles you have in front of you. And we're going to be working our way through verses 1 through 10 uh, this morning. So you want to keep your Bibles open if you would. Ephesians 2. Because here in this chapter, Paul reminds us of where we are standing when we demand justice. Okay, And, and our, our stance before God is not a pretty picture. Right? If you're like me, we, we followers of Jesus Christ, we like to think that we're pretty good people, don't we? We like to think that we're not all that bad. And God should really be proud of who we've become and, and what we're doing for him. Right? We, we do good things. We don't bother our neighbors too much. We do a pretty decent job on those Ten Commandments that he's asked us to keep. Oh, well, at least nine of them, maybe. That's pretty good, 90%. We, we go to church on a regular basis. That should make God happy. We, we even give some of our finances when we go to church. We're certainly better than most people out there in the world, right? We're, we're pretty good people that God should be pleased with. And so we ask God to bring his justice out to all those other people outside these walls. All those people who are so much worse than us, right? So God, we want you to bring justice. Bring justice for those criminals, for those thieves and those murderers. Bring justice to the suicide bombers and the terrorists and the illegal immigrants. Bring justice to the white-collar thieves and, and those scammers who steal money from old people. Bring justice to the human traffickers that we just heard about in iStudy. Bring, bring justice, God, to those classmates of ours who are bullies and who are mean. Bring justice to those neighbors who play their music way too loud late at night. God, bring justice to all those bad people out there. We as good people want God to rain down justice on all those bad people. But God makes it clear 
in his word that we are not pretty good people. You're not pretty good, and I'm not pretty good. We are not people who are deserving of anything. The very first verse in Ephesians 2 points the finger at you and me. It begins by saying, as for you, and remember Paul's writing to followers of Jesus Christ here, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Right, and then he's going to go on. We're going to read the next two verses too. He paints a pretty dismal picture of who we were. Listen to this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh following its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Not a pretty picture. Gratifying the cravings of the flesh, following its desires and thoughts. And you see how it ended? You and I, like the rest, like everybody else out there, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We can't point the fingers at all those bad people out there without those fingers clearly pointing at each one of us, including our own sinfulness as well. We are not pretty good people. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's justice just as much as they do. And you know what? God is, he is completely just in leaving us to experience the consequences of our sin. He's completely just letting us absorb that punishment. Right? There's nothing unjust about that because we chose sin. We chose to rebel against him. You and I chose to follow Satan instead of follow God. You and I chose the cravings of the flesh instead of holiness. We still choose it. You do. I do. We make that choice. And when we make that choice, we are choosing judgment. We are choosing eternal destruction for ourselves. Right? Romans 6.23. You don't need to turn there. Romans 6.23 makes it pretty clear what what true justice brings to us. We are all sinners. And Romans 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's what we have rightly earned. We deserve eternal death. That is a very difficult place for you and I to begin our thinking. Remember, we like to think that we're pretty good people, that we deserve some goodness, we deserve some blessing. The truth is, we deserve death. And you know, too often we, we begin our theological understandings on the wrong side of the spectrum, right? We, we begin with a premise that everybody, including you and me, especially you and especially me, that everybody deserves God's smile. That everybody deserves God's grace. 
Everybody deserves to be saved, right? And then when we start there, then we, we wonder how God could be so horribly mean to take that away from some and not to save everyone. What a mean God. That's not the way it works. The truth is that everybody is over here. Every single one of us deserves death, deserves punishment, deserves hell, deserves God's anger pouring down on us. That's just. God isn't needlessly cruel in removing his salvation gift from some. He's simply being just. He's simply being fair. God's just in leaving us to experience the ruin and pain that we have chosen, that we deserve, that is the right wages that we've earned from our sin. That's fair. But that's not what God does. God's not content to just be just. You see, upon this foundation of justice, God lays a layer of mercy. So verse 4 in Ephesians 2 makes a huge transition, right? Paul just told us what, what horrible sin, that none of us are good enough. And then verse 4 begins with the word but. I'm so thankful for that little word right there. But. But because of his great, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Wow. Our God is not only a God of justice over here, but he's a God of mercy as well. We've got to figure out how those fit together then. Article 17 of the Belgian Confession goes on to help us begin to understand that. It gives us a, a wonderful picture of God's mercy. It says this. It says, We believe that our gracious God, by his marvelous wisdom and goodness, seeing that man, you and I, had plunged himself in this manner into both physical and spiritual death, Right? We just recognize that. And made himself completely miserable. That's what we deserved. God set out to find him. Though man, trembling all over, was fleeing from him. He comforted him, promising to give us his son, born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make him blessed. Did you get that picture? Here we are, deserving of sin, deserving of punishment, deserving of all this justice raining down on us, and we're running away from God. We've chosen to do what he doesn't want. We're chosen to run to the enemy side. We've turned our backs on him. He has every right to let us remain there where we are. And I read the, but I read the first part of Romans 6.23 to you earlier. It goes on, right? I read to you the wages of sin is death. The verse doesn't stop there. Some of you are already saying it in your brain. You know this verse. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You and I ran away from God. 
and he set out to find us. You and I turned our backs on God, and he refused to let us go. You and I chose death, and God reached down in his mercy, and he gave us life. Instead of being, so instead of being amazed and shocked that God would allow anybody to experience the pain of judgment, instead of that, you and I should be amazed and shocked that God would allow anyone to experience the joy of his mercy. God, in his amazing grace, gives salvation to human beings who deserve nothing. To you and to me, who deserve nothing. All of our good works You know what they earn us? They earn us death. But God's great mercy gives us life. When you and I struggle to try and understand this this difficult issue, this mystery of election, of salvation for some, we, we, we look at those, we stand here and we look at those who are not saved, who haven't yet been given a faith to believe. And we ask the question of God, God, why not them? Why not them? This doesn't seem fair. I think the even bigger question that we should start with, that should perplex us even more when we stand over here, is to look at God and say, God, why me? Why in the world did you give me the grace to believe? Why in the world did you choose to pluck me out of my sin, out of my deserving death? Why me? You see, I can understand God's justice. You can too. That's a logical formula. That's cause and effect. That's choice and consequence. I sin, I'm punished. But the details of God's mercy, that's where the mystery lies. God's mercy is a mystery that doesn't make sense. Why does God choose you? Why does he choose me? God's mercy, this mystery shows the breadth and the width of his amazing love for us. It's a mystery that, that when we view it correctly, when we hold on to it, like the precious treasure that it is. It should bring us to our knees in gratitude that God would love us. It should bring us to our knees in worship and awe of our great and gracious God who gives us everything when we deserve nothing. All right, listen. Listen to what Paul continues to say as we continue Ephesians 2. Pick it up at verses 6. And seven with me. Here's the amazing thing God did. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. You want to see God's grace? The the incomparable riches of his grace. Look at your salvation through Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus, the work of Jesus Christ, is the, the key that brings both God's justice and his mercy together in this amazing way. That's the salvation miracle, justice and mercy working together. In Jesus, both God's justice and his mercy are satisfied. So Article 20 goes on to tell us in the Belgic Confession. It lays out that miracle for us to see. It says, we believe that God, who is perfectly merciful and also very just, both of those things, right? That he sent his son to assume the nature in which the disobedience had, had been committed in order to bear the punishment of sin by his most bitter passion and death. So God made known his justice towards his son who was charged with our sin. And he poured out his goodness and his mercy on us who are guilty and worthy of damnation. Giving to us his son to die by his most perfect love and then raising him to life for our justification in order that by him we might have immortality and eternal life. Whoa. It's the cross. It's at the cross of Jesus Christ that God's justice is poured out on Jesus. Right? Jesus took that punishment that belonged to you and belonged to me for the sin that we had committed. Even though Jesus was sinless, he deserved no punishment. Yet he carried our punishment. He carried our guilt to that cross. And he absorbed all the effects of God's justice for you and for me. And because at that moment God poured his justice out on Jesus, now Jesus can pour his mercy out on us. He can pour out his mercy on every single one of us who is guilty, on each of us who is worthy of damnation because the price has been paid, the debt has been satisfied. In Jesus, perfect justice and great mercy become a beautiful partnership. A beautiful partnership. And that changes who you are. Changes who I am. Right, Ephesians chapter 2 again. Remember it started by clearly stating who we used to be. People who were dead in our transgressions. People who were dead in our sins. People who deserve nothing but eternal damnation. We were followers of evil. We were enemies of God. We were people who, who gratified our, the cravings of this sinful nature and still do. We were people who, who follow the desires of our sinful nature and still do. And now through the perfect fulfillment of judgment and mercy in Jesus Christ, we, Paul says we are now transformed people. With God's grace being poured into our lives through Jesus Christ, we move all the way from death to life. And verses 8 through 10 show us how far this transformation takes us. Listen to this. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. 
not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who are you now? Who am I now? You and I are God's handiwork. And we are created and shaped in Christ Jesus now to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, we have been transformed. We've gone from death now to life. We've gone from, from justice to grace and mercy. We've gone from following the cravings of our sinful nature and the desires of this world now to doing good works, to living out the holiness that God has prepared for us. We've gone from being enemies of God, running away from Him, to being His prized workmanship. The ones He looks at and loves and smiles at. Because we're running to him instead of running away from him. He's done a good work in us through Jesus Christ. The great work that he's done. And in response, we now do the good works that he's prepared for us to do. It's the least we can do. What a transformation. What a, what a reason to celebrate. Mercy given to you. You and I, our daily lives are living testaments to the justice and the mercy of God. God has not been fair to you, and he's not been fair to me. And man, am I thankful for that. Man, am I grateful for that. Because if God was fair, if he was only just, none of us would have any hope. None of us would have life today. None of us would have life for eternity. God's saving grace in your life is not fair. And I, for one, don't want a God who's fair. I want a God who's full and overflowing with grace and mercy. There are times. There are times when I revert back to my childhood. And I do it with God. And I'm disappointed with life. And, and I feel like life has gypped me somehow. And I scream at God and say, God, it's not fair. You're not fair. I deserve better than this. And you know what God says back? He says, yes, you're right. You're right. I'm not fair. Justice is fair. But I'm a God of mercy. And I'm a God of grace. And you know what? You don't deserve any goodness. You haven't earned anything, Tony. But I've given you good things anyways. Because I love you dearly. So don't wish for fairness. Be thankful for grace. And he's right. And sometime, sometime I'll finally get it. I'll finally learn. And I'll go before God with a gratitude that's eternal. And I'll say, thank you, God, for not being fair with me. Would you pray with me?
Father God, you know how tempted we are not to see ourselves honestly. We all do it, Father. We minimize our brokenness. We minimize our sin. We minimize our rebellion. We compare ourselves to people who are much worse than us. And we come before you thinking that we're good enough. Thinking that we deserve blessing. Thinking that we deserve an easy life. A life with no pain. A life with no consequences for our evil choices. A life filled with blessing that we don't deserve. We feel like it's ours to claim. Forgive us for that self-serving attitude, Father. Humble us. Humble us to the point where we recognize who we truly are before you. We are beggars, deserving nothing except judgment, except punishment. And we're beggars begging for grace, begging for just a little bit of mercy. And Jesus, you pour your mercy out on us. You give us more than just a little bit of grace. You give us your son who took all our punishment and opened that door of eternity wide for us. Thank you, Father, for that amazing grace that transforms us, transforms us for eternity, Father. Help it to transform us for today as well. You called us to imitate you. And that means we become people who aren't so set on justice, on fairness, but we're people who show grace and mercy in your name. May that be what people see in our behavior, hear in our words, and receive from us grace and mercy. Thank you, Father for not being fair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Worship team, would you come on forward? We're going to sing our final song this morning. It's a song that celebrates the amazing grace that God has given us. Grace that's, that's greater than whatever wrong you've done. Whatever sin you're holding on to and